Wait, sorry. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I accidentally muted, and so I didn't hear any of what you said. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to leave uh, all this in. No, don't. <laughs> You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing this week? Hey, Robert. I am doing great. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. I actually, I have incredible news. Oh, I want to hear it. Let's hear it. What's your news? Brooke listened to uh, half of last week's episode. Oh, that's awesome! Which is awesome, because she's never listened before. Oh, uh, she borrowed uh, She borrowed my car for her drive on Monday, and then, so there's an aux cord and all that, uh-huh. uh, and then the episode was on college students, which she runs a college ministry, uh-huh. so she thought, I'm going to download this one and give it a listen. So she listened to half of it, because her drive was only half an hour long, uh, and, uh, but that's half an hour more than ever before, so that's look at that. awesome! So can we do like a high Brooke, just assuming she's going to be listening to this week's episode? I mean, you can. That's a pretty bold (laughs) assumption. Oh, no, I love that. I love that she listened. I'm sure, especially though, because she knew Dr. Glass. And so I'm I'm guessing that was probably a big, you know, motivator maybe. But yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. I thought it was was funny. Yeah. I was was floored that when she came (laughs) home and told me. That's so cool. I love it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. How's everything going with you? It's, you've just barely made it home. Yeah, so yeah, I know. We, I know. I was texting with you and talking with you a little bit earlier. We today is just one of those days. I, as I was mentioning earlier, just get keep your palms up and my just my tires. I needed to get a couple of tires replaced, and I knew that one was getting a little bit low, but just surprised when I got there that the other one was about ready to, um, to go too. So it was very good. I'm thankful that it happened, you know, at the, the tire place and not on the road. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, so I'm doing good. I'm still, I have to tell you, I'm still marinating in this retreat that I went to, Yes, I'm so glad you said that because I remember (laughs) thinking earlier, hey, we talked about it, so I need to remember to ask her. And then now in this moment, I had not – I forgot. So That's totally fine. No, it just was – I mean, I mean, I I feel like I'm still wrapping my head around a lot um, about what – you know, I had gotten out of this retreat, what we had learned, the experiences, the beautiful, beautiful people that I got to connect with, many of whom I know have already downloaded our podcast. And so, you know, for those who were at Gravity last weekend, hello. And hi, Gravity friends. Hi, Gravity friends. Yeah, it just was an incredible, incredible retreat. Chris and Felina Hewart's did such a phenomenal job leading it um, and their staff, um, Betty and Victoria and Jared, who helped, you know, the, our hosts at the monastery. It was just a beautiful chance to just take a deep breath, to be connected with others, to practice that silence, stillness and solitude and, and just, yeah, just be still. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really good. So I so for any of our you know our listeners who haven't heard of Gravity before I encourage you to go out and and look up to see what Gravity is all about what they're doing. Felina Hewart's does a lot of work with contemplative practices. Chris Hewart's you know we mentioned last time does some stuff with the Enneagram. He wrote the book The Sacred Enneagram and oh my gosh, I got to listen to him teach on the Enneagram which was just Oh, so good. So so good. Good. So anyways, Were yeah. Sandra Bullock and George Clooney also there? <laughs> No, nope, mm. they weren't. Sorry. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> no, but yeah, it was, it was just, it was a really great, great opportunity. Good. Yeah. Good. That's so good. Yeah. So what about you? What have you been up to this weekend? Like aside from Brooke finally listening to CH yeah. and joining, joining us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, just plugging away, doing counseling stuff. And then we've talked some about some of like the consulting training things that, that yes. I'm, I'm in the midst of doing. And so, oh, but I'm uh, so doing, for. yeah, doing some things there, reaching out to people and, and 
kind of connecting with some folks there and whatnot. And then you and I have been kind of going back and forth about uh, a, a bigger dream having to do with that. Yes. And we'll, we'll hold on to that for now yeah, until sure. we have, you know, but trying to brainstorm some of that and really think through what it is that that can look like and, and um, how practically we can help equip people in ministry settings to, to, to really engage with mental health and know how to mm-hmm. have those conversations. So yeah. I've been doing a lot of, a lot of that, you know, just the general things, editing, uh, this podcast. And yeah. Whatnot, but yeah. But no, it's been great. It's been nothing super out of the ordinary other than Brooke listening to the show, but. <laughs> oh, that's good. Sometimes that's good. Just quiet, quiet week. That's good. Yeah. And Gray's yeah. doing all right. He is. He is. Actually, here's an interesting thing I did this week. Yeah. That. I just thought of, as you were talking about people who have kind of connected with the show in various ways, Mm -hmm. and then actually this episode, we talk with Mary Alice. Yes. So a friend of mine texted me maybe a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I was at a wedding this weekend, and the pastor is... Like she's she's a pastor, but then she's also a an LPC, a licensed counselor. Mm-hmm. And she, I mentioned something about it, and then she brought up your show. Oh, and I thought, wow! Well, that's really cool. So I found her online on just she has a website, and then you know sent her a message because she's in Atlanta. And so I thought, oh, I'm always down for connecting with people. Yeah. Uh, and we got together for coffee, and turns out that the way that she had heard about the show was she is in uh, she was in like a group of new baptist pastor women with Mary Alice a while no back way. and Mary Alice posted something on Facebook about it back when we recorded the episode oh, yeah. and she thought it was interesting and went and you know checked it out so uh-huh probably assumedly maybe listening to this episode but it's funny the the connections that that stem from something like this and you know mm-hmm. kind of tentacling out from this which I don't think is a verb but it is now <laughs> you just made it one yeah. I just know but I love that I mean I know you and I both you know connection is something that's really important to us but it is amazing once you start kind of diving into this work that you realize how small of a world it is and how we are so much more connected than we realize I think so I love that that like your that your friend had brought that up and that you know made that connection and I'm really excited for our listeners to get to hear about Mary Alice in just a moment too. Yeah. How do you know Mary Alice? How yeah. did this come about? Because this is one of, I think we talked briefly about it, that some of the ones this season, part of the coolness, I guess, again, I'm not sure if that's a word, <laughs> but one of the cool things about- today. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. Part of one of the cool things about you joining me as host is bringing in people that I don't know and I've never heard of, but that mm-hmm. you know of. So I don't know. I don't think we talked about it in the actual episode, yeah. but how do, you, how do you know Mary Alice? Yeah. Yeah. So, so Mary Alice is a pastor out here in Waco, Texas. She's at Calvary Baptist Church and um, she's the lead pastor there. A number of my colleagues um, at the School of Social Work attend Calvary Baptist Church. And Mary Alice and I, we connected, I feel like it was pretty early into me coming to Waco. And we've just continued to bump into one another. I, we, I know I mentioned in this episode that that she and I went to a book event that Brene Brown had last uh, last fall. And then this past spring, I teach a class in the School of Social Work on spirituality and social work. And mm-hmm. and it is, I, I will say, like, I love this class. It's just, oh, I love it so much. But one of the class sessions that we had, I brought in a number of local pastors and, and clergy members to just come in and talk about mental health from their perspective, from the work that they do, and and just their experiences with, with navigating it with their congregants and just whatever they felt like sharing and, and talking with my students about this. And Mary Alice did a wonderful job in the classroom. But then after the class, she actually emailed me this sermon that she did a while back and said, hey, you know, I really appreciated coming in your class, but I, I kind of wanted to share this or I got this nudge to share this with you, just talking about mental health from the pulpit. And so when you and I connected and, and we, you know, started thinking about folks to come on the, the podcast this season, I mean, Mary Alice was absolutely someone that I had thought of, but especially just the opportunity for her to, her to share this sermon. I just think it is yeah. beautiful and it's so well done and well thought through from a pastor's perspective. Just how do we talk about this from the pulpit and and what do we use? What language do we use? How do we approach it? And so I just thought she did a really phenomenal job with that in this episode. Yeah. 
Well, she does. I mean, she even reads the whole sermon in this episode at at our request, which is really was a really cool experience, I think, especially for me, because I I hadn't heard it before. And I don't know that we've ever had somebody we've done some PS episodes. And if you don't know what those are, that's fine. But if you go back far enough, you'll you'll see what those are. But just listening to somebody give a sermon while we're recording was kind of a whole different experience of just getting to sit back and kind of, you know, listen and ingest this this beautiful sermon. So yes, it really was. And then to unpack it after. So we, yeah. you know, we set the stage at the beginning and she offers the sermon and then and then you and I unpack it with her after just to make sure we understand, you know, some of the things that she was saying and and how this is coming from her perspective as a pastor and I just really hope that our our listeners get a chance to listen through this whole one. It was really good. So, yeah. Yeah. With that being said, we'll uh, we'll get out of the way and and let you hear from Mary Alice. All right. Enjoy. You make the sound this week. <laughs> we'll just go. <laughs> hey, here you go. Enjoy this episode with Mary Alice. <laughs> So we have Mary Alice Birdwhistle here with us today. She serves as the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church here in Waco, Texas. She's originally from the beautiful state of Kentucky and is a graduate of Georgetown College in Georgetown, Kentucky. In 2009, she moved to Waco to attend the George W. Truett Theological Seminary and joined the staff at Calvary as a children's minister. Um, After finishing her Master's of Divinity in 2013, Calvary called her to become their associate pastor, and she served in that role until being called as pastor in 2017. In 2016, she completed a two-year fellows program for uh, First Called Ministers with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. She has served on the national leadership team for Baptist Women in Ministry and writes for various blogs and publications, including the D365.org, Reflections, Daily Devotional Guide, and Baptist Women in Ministries blog. Mary Alice received the Robert Jackson Robinson Award for Preaching at Truett Seminary, and she has preached around the country through her involvement with the Academy of Preachers. She loves sharing life with God's beloved community as a pastor, and in her spare time, she also enjoys yoga, Kentucky basketball, (laughs) making her new house a home, being with family and friends, and spending time on her back porch. I am so honored that we have Mary Alice here with us today. How are you doing today, Mary Alice? Hi, I'm doing well, and I am honored to be here with you all. So thanks so much for the invitation. Yeah. Is there anything else that I missed in your bio that you'd like to share? (laughs) No, that was probably more than enough. That was great. (laughs) Well, you've been very busy over the past few years. Just thinking about you graduating with your MDiv in 2013 and now leading Calvary is just incredible. You've you've done so much Mm -hmm. good work. Well, I'm so excited for today's chat with you. We actually have a really special uh, treat today. So we're going to be talking with you a little bit about faith and mental health and some of your perspectives on that. But we're also going to get to hear a sermon that you did a while back on this topic. And one of the reasons that I love this especially is because I've heard from religious leaders who struggle with how to talk about mental health from their position as Mm, a preacher and how it's tied to their belief system. But your hmm. sermon, it's a, just such a great example of how to incorporate this discussion on mental health within a weekly sermon setting in a church. So wow, thank you. Yeah. So you, you would join my class this last spring to talk with my students um, about the intersection of faith and mental health from your perspective as a religious leader. Um, yeah. My sense since knowing you and talking with you is that you have this great understanding about the intersection between the two. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about, you know, how you view these areas of our lives being connected? Yes, absolutely. You know, I, it can be so easy for us in the church to talk in these lofty theological terms that don't intersect with our everyday life and, and what I tell people is that I, th- I think people can sniff out fakeness a mile away. And I think the mm. church and the world are hungry for religious leaders and pastors and people of faith who are real and genuine and who are vulnerable and willing to talk about the real things in our lives and in the world. And mental health is is at the center of that. We are 
all affected by that in some way. We all have our own personal experiences. And then that doesn't even take into account our relationships with friends and family and people we love. And so the church has to start talking about things that are real. And um, mental health is one of the things that's at the top of that list for me. Yeah, that's really good. Well, do you mind telling us a little bit about your perspective as a lead pastor and particularly what role you have or you feel like you've had or you've experienced having um, when it comes to mental health? Sure. Um, I guess one of the big roles I feel like is mine to do is is to help break down the stigma about mental health, um, mm-hmm. to to bring it into sermons and then to bring it into everyday conversations. One of the things that has looked like at Calvary has been just to talk about mental health and counseling as as an everyday part of our lives, as um, mm-hmm. trying to be healthy individuals. And and so I'm transparent or try to be from, from the pulpit and in conversations about how I see a counselor to, to have a confidential space to unpack some of the challenges in my life and that that is one of the healthiest things that I think I can do as a pastor, but also as a person. Mm-hmm. And I found that when you're willing to name that, that breaks down some of that barrier and, oh, well, this is something that Mary Alice does. Maybe that's something that would be healthy for me, too. Yeah. Um, and just to bring that into the conversation has, has been a, a game changer for us. Yeah, I think I love what you said there about kind of just in everyday conversation and in sermons, because a lot of times what we encounter is either not talking about mental health at all in faith circles or, okay, we're going to have this Sunday be the like this sermon is our mental health sermon, which is great. But then, you know, it still feels kind of like, okay, this Sunday is the one that we talk about it and then that's it, you know, so I love what you talked about kind of day to day and making it normalizing. Right. Well, and I'll be honest, I I feel like I constantly need reminders from people to continue bringing it to the table. Uh, like the, the sermon that I'm going to share for you in a few minutes, I preached back in 2015. And then I, I had a, a student recently say, hey, I wish we talked about mental health more at church. And I found myself mm. thinking, well, hey, remember, I preached that sermon. And I was like, oh, that was three years ago. And so yeah. it's it's got to continually be brought to the table and and not just in one sermon, but in in lots of sermons and in lots of ways. So it, it's something that, that we are always striving for, but we also need to continually be challenged toward as well. Yeah, no, that makes really good sense. So, and not just these conversations within the church, but what about conversations with other pastors as well? Like, do you see that this comes up in conversations with colleagues that you have too? Absolutely. Uh, And both and, I mean, one of my favorite things about my relationships with other pastors is that's a space where we can really be real about our own struggles and uh, that's sacred, safe space for us. And so uh, sometimes it, it can be challenging to be completely transparent with your congregation or to know when and how best to do that. Um, but yeah. with other pastors who really understand this calling and this life, um, that that's a place where we can be transparent. Um, but then also to share resources and to share, hey, I, I have this congregant experiencing this. Who might you recommend? How can we best refer this person to get the care that they need. Um, That's key as well. Yeah, that's really good. Well, I really, I I love this sermon that you're going to be sharing. So I I do want to make sure that our listeners get to hear it as soon as possible. So uh, (laughs) I have some questions at the end of it, but if you feel comfortable, would you mind sharing your sermon? Sure. Let's just dig in. Awesome. Okay. I'm just going to pretend like I'm at the pulpit doing my thing. I love that. That's perfect. Thank you. I returned to Waco last Saturday night after traveling with Calvary's mission team to Lebanon. And I've got to admit to you that this has been an unusually awful week of jet lag for me. I would find myself wide awake at 3 a.m. and then absolutely exhausted by 3 p.m. Most of the week, I just felt like I was in a daze. Oftentimes, I was seeing the people around me interact, like I was watching them almost in a dream, but I just didn't have the energy to interact with them. One morning, I moved my roommate's keys to a a totally random place in our house where neither of us would ever put our keys, and it caused her to be over an hour late for work that morning. I've called people the wrong names multiple times, and so I owe apologies to Kimberly and Kristen, Andrea and Audrey for all the times I confused you. I forgot about simple tasks at home and at work that I would normally never let slip through the cracks. 
I was much more irritable than usual. I found myself crying a lot. I just didn't feel like myself this week. I learned that it takes one day per time zone to recover from jet lag. And while that may sound extreme, I found it to be true for me this week. But all week long, I also had the luxury of knowing it's going to get better in a few more days. I'm not necessarily acting like myself. I'm not thinking like myself and I'm not feeling like myself. But after a few more days, I'm going to get back to myself again. And then I thought about all the people who don't have the luxury of knowing if or when or how things will possibly get better. When the thought of feeling like themselves seems completely unattainable. Every year, at least 25% of the U.S. adult population suffers from a diagnosable mental illness. That is about equal to the total percentage of people diagnosed with cancer each year, those living with heart disease, people with HIV and AIDS, and those with diabetes combined. All week long, I have felt the weight of the importance of today's worship theme, and I've wanted to honor it well. And so I've studied, read articles, prayed, listened, and then listened some more. And although I'm no expert in this field, I've learned a few things along the way. I've learned that mental illness can include things like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, addiction, and major depression— And those are just some of the conditions that affect people in our congregation and the people we love. But I've also learned that mental illness is a broad term for a variety of disorders that can affect our thinking, feeling, behavior, mood, social interaction, and self-expression. And if 25% of people experience mental illness personally, that doesn't even begin to take into account the mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, children, husbands and wives and dear friends who were affected by mental illness because they love someone with mental illness. That startling statistic challenges me, and hopefully it challenges all of us that we desperately need to start talking about mental health. We can't afford not to. And what better place for that conversation to happen than here in the church? And so in today's text, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39, we meet a man known as the Gerasene demoniac. Notice that he is not given a name. He's described as a man who has demons, who often wears no clothes, who does not live in the comfort of a house, but rather lives in a tomb in isolation from the community. We're told that the demons within him keep him under guard and bound by chains and shackles. But what strikes me the most about this passage is that when Jesus asks the man's name, the demons answer for him. And they say legion because many demons had entered him. This man is trapped by a situation over which he seems to have no control. He's ostracized from his community, and when Jesus asks his name, we learn that he has no identity outside of these demons. They define how he spends his day, how he responds to others, and even how he names himself. Now, I don't want to make a one-for-one correlation here, but I do think this story in our Gospels can speak powerfully to the condition of the many people who live each and every day with some form of mental illness. They too are trapped by situations over which they have little or no control. They too are ostracized by friends, family, and yes, even the church. And oftentimes they feel completely defined by their condition. I was talking with someone recently who has a family member struggling with addiction right now. And I was surprised by the way she talked about her situation. Of course, she was so concerned for her family member and getting him the care that he needs. But as she talked more, I heard her saying that she's most upset because of the way the situation defines her and her family. She said, I'm just so tired of being that person and of our family being that family. And my heart broke for her. 
one, because she would feel this way about herself, and two, for the ways that the community around her, including those of us in the church, have probably contributed to her feeling this way, perhaps without even realizing it. Maybe one way we can address the church's response to mental illness is by recognizing that even though 25% of the population may struggle with a mental illness that is diagnosable, all of us in some way, at some point, experience some kind of mental health challenge. All of us, they are part of our everyday life. Because worry can be a mental health challenge. Compulsion can be a mental health challenge. Fear can be a mental health challenge. Anxiety can be a mental health challenge. Sadness and grief can be mental health challenges. If you've seen Pixar's movie Inside Out, you know how this might work. Sometimes anger just takes over the control station of our mind and won't let go or can't let go. Sometimes joy gets lost and has to find her way back to headquarters. And it's a long, hard journey. Sometimes sadness just lays down in the ground and refuses to get back up again. These are things that all of us can and do experience. And so at some point or at many points in our lives, seeking professional counseling for some of these challenges we face can be a very, very good thing. As a pastor who often carries the weight of the many challenges that those of us in this congregation are facing, I have learned that counseling can be one of the healthiest, most life-giving things I can do for myself. And as a person who faces my own challenges in life, I have discovered that counseling can be one of the healthiest, most life-giving things I can do for myself. The problem is, when you and I aren't willing to name our challenges, they trap us in and they shut us off from the hope of any sort of resurrection. When we tend to hide and not talk about mental health challenges or any sort of challenges we're facing, that's what leads to shame and stigma and isolation. But I love what Brene Brown, a social work professor and author in Houston, says about shame. She says that shame can't have words around it. When we're brave enough to name whatever demons we are facing, they suddenly don't have the power over us that they once had. And that's precisely what makes Jesus's actions in this text so incredible to me. He refuses to let the demons speak for and act for this man. He refuses to let them name him. He has the courage to call out the demons, and suddenly they don't have the power over the man that they once had. In fact, they immediately rush into a herd of pigs, and they drown themselves in the sea. Friends, we have got to find a way to muster up the courage to name our demons, just as Jesus did, and just as Jesus can empower us to do. And we can't name them if we're not brave enough to talk about them. Now, that may not mean that they immediately leave us. That may not mean that they ever completely leave us. But I firmly believe that the God-given courage to name our challenges breaks down the shame that tries to keep us locked inside ourselves. You see, it may not be apparent to us as modern-day readers, but ancient readers of this text would have known that what Jesus does here is courageous and groundbreaking work. Jesus is crossing over the Sea of Galilee into the land of the Gerasenes, which means that he's not just crossing the sea, but he's also crossing boundaries. Because the land of the Gerasenes is the land of Gentiles, and no Jewish rabbi would ever want to take his followers there. In his commentary on Luke, Charles Talbert says that here, for the only time in Luke's gospel, Jesus journeys beyond the boundaries of Jewish territory into pagan soil. And it is here that his mission reaches the Gentiles. And that makes me wonder, what boundaries is Jesus calling us to cross today? If someone in our congregation goes to the hospital or has cancer, or needs surgery, the meal train usually can't be made fast enough. If someone in our congregation has a mental health diagnosis, 
or needs therapy or hospitalization or treatment, we don't make them casseroles, do we? More often than not, we don't even talk about it. Sometimes we don't know how to talk about it. And with the stigma associated with mental health issues, even today, most of these people remain isolated, going through an incredibly difficult and vulnerable experience completely on their own. Perhaps the first step to crossing boundaries is talking about mental health, being brave enough to voice and to name the challenges we face. Providing a safe, non-judgmental space for others to share their stories with us and to let them know that they are loved, heard, and cared for in this place. Ultimately, in today's text, the community around this man doesn't respond in this way. In fact, they actually ask Jesus to leave them, the text says, because they are seized with great fear. They have no idea what to do next. But it is this unnamed man, the man who people call the Gerasene demoniac, who Jesus actually sends off to declare what God has done for him. Ironically, he is the very first person in Luke's gospel whom Jesus empowers to share the good news. Even the disciples up until this point have not yet been sent out. And so, friends, what is Jesus sending us out to do today? Maybe we need the courage to name some of the challenges we've been facing recently so that they no longer have the same power over us, so that we can break free from the shame that is locking us in and holding us down. Maybe we need the courage to seek professional counseling. Maybe we need the courage to reach out to a friend who is struggling and to offer a safe space for his or her story to be shared. Maybe we need the courage to ask for help. Maybe we need the courage to share our story, to tell about what God has done for us or what we need God to do for us. One of my favorite authors, Anne Lamott, has spent 28 years recovering from alcoholism and depression. And she had the courage recently to share her story in this way. She says, I am a broken person and a resurrection person. I live for Sundays, she says. It's like going to the spiritual gas station to fill up on fuel and clean the dirty windshield and mirrors. I usually show up nuts, self-obsessed, vaguely agitated, and I am at once reminded not of who I am, but whose I am. Then everything falls into place. And I smile again at how crazy I and most of us are, but how at church... In fellowship, in the arms and eyes of Jesus, I remember the truths of my spiritual identity. Friends, we are all broken people. We can often feel held down by the weights of worry, anxiety, fear, addiction, compulsion, grief, and depression. But by God's grace and courage and steadfast love, which unlocks chains and breaks down shame, we can be resurrection people too. I think we would all do well to realize that about ourselves, to recognize and name the struggles and pains over which we may have no control, and to cling to the hope and to the promise of God's resurrection. That is the good news of this story, and it continues to be good news for us today and tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. We are broken people, and we are resurrection people. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Oh, my gosh. Mary Alice, that is so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing Um, that with us and just for your, your willingness to share your heart and the sermon and being willing to offer it to our audience is such a gift, especially for those who may be struggling in, in terms of how to talk about Mm. this as it relates to their congregation, but the ways in which you've offered it in such a loving, gracious manner that recognizes the complexity, the, the truth of it, with, while calling out that shame 
and still tying it to, to scripture too. So yeah. I just really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank yeah, you. Absolutely. I think there is so much good in what you've just said. And Holly and I, I know we're both jotting down follow-up questions to ask you know, <laughs> of, of pointing out things that we really loved. Yeah. I do, I do want to ask one clarification because I know we've had people use some parallels to stories like that before. And I want to Hmm. just clarify before people kind of read into it one way, because somebody listening is going to send us a message that says, Hey, are you saying that mental illness is demon possession and should only have spiritual, you know, kind of solutions. And Hmm. that's, that's not what you were saying. Not at all. And I'm glad you pointed that out. I know there were actually some NAMI groups who who shared my sermon at the time and and made that same clarification in their sharing. That the, while that is the text that I use, because I thought there were some parallels that I in no way want to draw a one for one correlation. That that right. Hey, uh, right. that there's some kind of demonic thing going on with mental illness um, because I I think there are some correlations between the the way that this man was treated, uh, the way Mm -hmm. Jesus responded to him, the way the community responded to them. And that's where the power and the significance of the story really resonated with me. Yeah. absolutely. No, that makes perfect sense. That's good. Well, can you tell us a little bit about after you gave that sermon to your congregation? I mean, what, what were the responses? And you, you also mentioned that you shared it with your NAMI group. Like what have their responses been from them as well? Yeah, I I was really overwhelmed with the responses. Sometimes I'll post my sermons on a blog and they might get shared a few times, but but this one kind of took off, which which made me realize how needed this conversation is in the church. Mm-hmm. Um and I immediately had people reach out to me and ask if I could who I might refer them to for a, a counselor and and so people felt like that was a safe question to ask and that I was a safe person to talk to about that. So I, I was so grateful. Um, and then a, a parent in the congregation who has a, a son who struggles with mental illness, I think it it created a, a space for her that she hadn't experienced in church and in a worship setting before. Yeah. And even mm. a family member reached out and he said, you've put into words what I've experienced for so long, but I just felt like no one else really understood. And and I don't know that he and I had ever sat down and really had a conversation about it. So that's the thing. It affects yeah. all of us everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, and something you're mentioning that I'm just thinking about too, is knowing that in so many instances, the research shows us that when someone's struggling with mental health um, issues or any kind of mental health struggles that they, the first individuals that they go to are their religious leaders. Mm. And so hearing how you have almost triaged that and then referred them to the mental health care providers, I think is Mm. such a great example of that. But you opening up that space and talking about it from the pulpit invites that, I think, in a way that that they then listen to you when you recommend, you know, a counselor for them to to go see. So that's really interesting. Good. You know, Holly, one thing I know you and I have talked about is people come to me often and they'll pose things as prayer requests that, hey, I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. this, would you pray about it? And so, Mm -hmm. and absolutely, I want to pray with them and for them about these things. But then sometimes my challenge in those settings is to figure out, okay, when might I need to bring someone else into this conversation as well or refer them to someone else? And so, yeah, this opened the door for that conversation too. So can I ask then, so when is it that you, because that's a question I get asked a lot at trainings or mm. things, right? People, they say, hey, I'm, I work in campus ministry. Where, when is, where's the line to where I say, I should say, hey, this isn't kind of in my wheelhouse. I mean, how do you decide those things? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> my, I think my line is when in doubt, refer. That's what a, a good <laughs> friend taught me. Like when in doubt, refer. So that's when there's awesome. a question about it. Um, but also, if someone is wanting to meet with me about something multiple times, probably after two or three times, that provides me a, a way to say, you know, a, a counselor could walk alongside you in this in a way that I can't. And I am happy to listen and to pray with and to encourage and to be your advocate and pastor. But a counselor is really equipped to walk with you in a completely different way than I can. And if they're wanting to meet several times, 
more often than not, they're open to that because they're wanting to talk about this. And so that's helpful too. Hmm. Yeah. And I love in your sermon there, you talked about how so many of these things are, you know, normal human experiences, right? I think sometimes we kind Mm. of, we place mental illness in this other box where, you know, kind of you have Mm -hmm. it or you don't. But I know that I like, and Holly and I have talked about this some, but I I like talking about things in terms of mental health because that puts it on a spectrum of, you know, we all have mental health. We're all on there somewhere and we all could be working on that, improving that, you know, trying to be healthier. So I love the way that you phrase that which kind of goes along with people coming to you asking for help with any number of things, you know, it's, it's all mental health related. If it's, you know, has to do yes. with them and their well being. Absolutely. I, and I even had this stigma for so long that oh, counseling is, is for people who are in crisis and the most serious situations. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time a friend talked to me about counseling and I, it just took me off guard because I, it, but it also helped me reframe what counseling is and what mental health is about. And so anytime I can kind of reframe the conversation with others that this isn't just the crises. In fact, I think one of the healthiest things that can happen is if we have a counselor in a non-crisis time so that when the crisis time mm-hmm. comes and they come for all of us, uh-huh. we're ready. We've got someone to talk to and we don't have to start at the very beginning. We can jump right in. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Well, and and Robert and I have talked about this before, too, how, you know, in the same way, you know, we get checkups with the dentist and with our, yep. you know, our PCP and, you know, going and getting our eyes checked or ears, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, we, we just have an emotional or a, you know, an emotional checkup. So yes, yeah, and, and need that uh, non-biased perspective. I mean, I know I've had people say, well, I have plenty of people to talk to. I can talk to my friends. I can talk to you. I can talk to other people at church. And yes, you can. I mean, we all need community. We need our tribe of people around us. But a counselor can hear things in such a different way and speak into things in such a different way than any of those other people can. Yeah. No, that's really good. One of the things too, you, you, you mentioned too, very candidly about, you know, you even having to go to counseling and being mm-hmm. so transparent about that. And mm-hmm. it's pretty rare. Robert was just mentioning before, it's pretty rare for pastors to mention that publicly. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. have you found any, like, what types of reactions have you had as you've been so transparent and open? Like, you know, maybe, especially I'm thinking about for those pastors who are listening and are like, well, I want to be able to admit this, but I'm really Mm -hmm. scared. You know, what is, what is the response then? You know, I've had nothing but positive responses to that and encouragement and affirmation. I, I could be in a unique context. I'm in a congregation with lots of social workers and uh, (laughs) professors and counselors. Um, So Mm -hmm. that may be part of it. Uh, But I would also encourage people that if we, as, as the pastoral leaders can lead the way in this, I think what incredible doors that could open for our congregations. Um, yeah. yeah, I've, I've not received any pushback and I've, I've thought a lot about this in the context of vulnerability and preaching, like what's appropriate for me to share in a sermon and yeah. what's not. Mm-hmm. Because I think there, there can also be a, an extreme side of that where Maybe you're preaching to meet some of your own mental health needs, and that's not healthy either. Mm-hmm. If I if I can't yeah. can't speak about something without getting kind of overly emotional, I realize hmm, that's probably not something for me to be preaching about right now. Um, yeah. And that doesn't mean that I don't show emotion in sermons because I do, and I've I've definitely shed tears in sermons. Um, but it's a it's a balance between being vulnerable and bringing my real self to the pulpit and to the congregation. But then knowing there are some things that that I need to talk to a counselor about that aren't for me to process in a sermon. Yeah. So as we're kind of talking about this, I'm thinking back to some some research that we have that says you know that even though that's where people turn, you know that Holly referenced earlier, but that faith leaders, pastors, whoever it is a lot of them, a pretty high number, a pretty high percentage report feeling like, hey, these are things that they're not equipped to talk about, Mm. right? Which, Mm. you know, obviously we would say, hey, you're not, you're not equipped to be a counselor, but even to talk about, I mean, if somebody says, again, like Holly was saying, hey, I would love to preach about this, but I just, I got, I have no, I have no idea. What, Mm. what, What would you say to them? Yeah. 
I did a lot of research for the sermon and it was different than the research I would normally do for a summer sermon. Um, and, you know, I definitely went to my commentaries and, and books that I normally go to, but I was on NAMI's website. I was Googling lots mm. of different mental health resources. I was talking to social worker friends and counselor friends. And so, you know, anytime I'm speaking about something that I don't feel like I'm an expert in, I'm looking to my community saying, Hey, you've, you've got a unbelievable amount of resources help me here. Um, I need your voices as well. I, I think the same day that I preached this sermon, we had a testimony uh, by someone in the congregation who had experienced pretty significant depression, and she shared her story. And, and that was a different voice mm. that, that I couldn't share, but that story needed to be shared as well. But I even think it would have been appropriate to invite one of our counselors or social workers uh, into a dialogue with me or, or for them to, to share a part of the sermon as well. So I think there are lots of ways that we could do that. Yeah, yeah. I love that you even mentioned just, you know, poking around NAMI's website and things like that. It doesn't have to be going to get a whole training or education on. Right. But just what are the small things you can do talking to people, looking at websites? Mm -hmm. I mean, just being the le a little bit more knowledgeable, I mean, is so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it speaks to um, how strong of a pastor you are, that you're willing to do that, that you, you know, you have that, that self-awareness and that humility and that willingness to go out and seek information and resources and to learn and grow um, and not just stop with, well, I got my MDiv, I'm done. Like, mm. <laughs> but just this lifelong journey of, you know, kind of that servant leadership that at least I have known of since I've known you and care for many people who I know you care for as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, and what I hear of, of how you lead your church, you just have this beautiful, humble approach to learning about hard topics and being willing to talk about them. So, mm -hmm. well, thank you. That's very generous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we're always learning. We're always growing. I mean, there's never a point that that would be scary as if we were to reach the point where we thought, Oh, I know all there is to know about ministry. I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I really feel like I have a well that I have to continually be pouring into because I'm continually pouring out of it. And so anytime I can go hear Brene Brown speak or read her newest book or yeah. follow my different speakers, I mean, that is, that is just as much for me as it is for the community I serve. Yeah, and you mentioning Brene's new book. I know she has another one coming out in October. Is it Dare Dare to Lead, I think? Is I saw that. I'm so excited. Yeah, <laughs> me too. We're going to have to coordinate to go listen to her again this time. Oh, Mary I Alice. would love that. Yeah, Mary Alice and I went to listen to her in Austin for Braving the Wilderness. And yeah, yeah we'll just need to coordinate that again this year. So. Can you, do you have any, I guess one question I had is, do you have any specific recommendations for other religious leaders when it comes to approaching this topic or preparing to talk about it or connecting their congregation members with professionals in the field? Like just what general recommendations or tips would you um, offer? I really do. I have several social workers and counselors at Calvary that I always have their names and numbers in my pocket, whether it's to refer to them or to call them and ask them for advice of, hey, I've got this mm. tough situation and I would love your help in this. Um, you know, an MDiv is a great degree and it's like a 94 hour degree, but it can't begin to cover all of those different things, particularly related to mental health and pastoral care. And so mm -hmm. I would encourage other pastors to have those people in your back pocket that you can be very transparent with and honest with, who you know will honor confidentiality and who will guide you in, in tough pastoral care situations. Absolutely having people to refer to and things like that. But what has helped me the most is, is having that community of people around me. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. Well, if you would like to connect with Mary Alice Birdwhistle, you can find her on Facebook at Mary Alice Birdwhistle, B-I-R-D-W-H-I-S-T-E-L-L. Or through her church's website at cbcwaco.net. 
Um, if you'd like to connect with Robert Bohr, you can find him at robertbohr.com or on social media at Robert Bohr. Or if you'd like to connect with me, I'm at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. Um, Mary Alice, I am so deeply thankful for your willingness to join us today um, to share your sermon and your heart on this topic. Is there anything else that you'd like to add uh, before we wrap up today? Hmm. No, I mean, thank you so much for having me and thank you both for the work that you do. I guess my last word would be um, that I think another gift that we can bring to to ministry is to listen to our own stories and to see how they intersect Mm. with mental health. I know part of my story is that I have a bone disorder. It's called osteogenesis imperfecta and it it means my bones break very easily. Um, and while I've taken medication for it and have grown much stronger over the years, there's also no cure for it. And mm-hmm. so I can't tell you how many times I've been stopped by people asking if they could pray for God to heal my legs or if they could pray for God to, to heal me from this disease. And, and even with the best of intentions. But I guess that those experiences have really helped me to develop empathy for people dealing with health challenges for which there is no cure and being people of faith at the same time and living in the tension between those two spaces that God is present in our hurt and our pain and our struggles. And so my life story, I think has, has equipped me in a lot of ways for this. And so Mm -hmm. another gift that we as, as pastors and mental health leaders can bring is listening to our own life stories and leading from those places. So good. Yeah, so, so good. Thank you so much, Mary Alice. I hope you have a great week and you're welcome back at any time. Oh, well, thank y'all so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.